Blog Talk Radio. Here at ACO Radio, American Communications Online, or any affiliated stations or websites are not responsible for what guests, hosts, or call-ins may say. All programming is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. Hello, world. <clears throat> hello, world. <laughs> Hello, hello, hello. Can you hear me? I'm doing something different right now and uh, using some different equipment that's not taking my headset right now, but I was changing. So welcome, all you ground troops. Spin around smartly. We're going to do UFO Association today, and uh, we do this for American Communications Online, a company we're building for Many of our friends in broadcasting, and we do archives and websites and uh, associate with each other in uh, various genres. And uh, I've had Blog Talk Radio, TGMRC2 Radio since 2012. So we're not really new at this, but uh, we're always trying new people and new equipment. But this is an old hand now we're going to do and call uh, Jan Aldrich. And I like to call him to save him money. Because he's up in the area of the country that uh, <laughs> apparently has a little trouble from time to time. And we've got 5G where we're at, so don't hold it against us, but it's the way we communicate these days. But let me see if I can get Jan on here so we can start a recording and a live show. And uh, I'll let friends of mine know if they're interested in attending on uh, social media free social media like Facebook, Internet, uh, Google, Twitter, things like that. And uh, we move forward from there doing uh, making archives. So we're going to call and see, and then we'll be right here and going to record some. You've reached the voicemail system. If you have a mailbox on this system, press star. Okay. To leave a message for someone, enter their 10-digit phone number now. Huh. Well, let's try this one more time. You breached the voicemail system. If oh, you have a mailbox on, on this system, press. Okay, let's see. Let me try this. Invite guest calls. Okay, Jan, are you there? Okay, I've got to get you into the system. I apologize. I called you on the wrong uh, wrong number. Let, I mean, you've got, you're on the right number, but I'm on the wrong number to pull you into this studio. Let me call right back. Okay, I'll call you right back. Thank you. Okay, folks, I've got different uh, information for different <laughs> connections because I do so many radio shows and run so many studios. So let me get the right studio with the right buttons and. Uh, I'm going through one of my studios on uh, New York and Oregon, Blog Talk Radio, because it's really easy, folks, and uh, it really helps us keep all our archives for many years, and they always keep a copy. Let's see. Jan, can you hear me now? Jan? Are you there, Jan? What am I doing wrong? Old time. 
Well, let me try one more time. Dial. Dialing. Hello? Ah, now I got you. Can you hear me on the radio show? Yes. Okay, finally. I apologize to you and everybody that's our listeners for our uh, American Communications Online and our UFO Association that Jan so gratefully uh, decided to help us archive some oral archives and help us uh, know more about all the people that's been out there that we may or may not know about. So uh, we're going to move forward. We're calling this our book two, episode three, Jan, for the record, uh, because we do roughly 2,000 a week. I mean, two hours a week, folks. I do more than that. But Jan, uh, as far as I know, is a weekly uh, co-host here with uh, TJ Mars ET Radio, if anybody keeps up with uh, where the archives are. You can always find them on TJ Mars ET Radio, and that's on Blog Talk Radio. That company's out in New York, and Mr. Levy started that, and then they sold it to Box Nest. Any of you historians out there want to know how we're doing this. And then I pay a certain bill monthly to archive and to do live radio shows. And Jan Aldrich joined me a couple of months back in 2019. I think it was October. Uh, we can go back and look at the archives, which we're making. But, Jan, do you remember when we started, when you went to Chicago? Do you have a copy of your flight ticket for historical purposes with you and Barry Greenwood? Do you know what date that was? Uh, gee, I have to look it up on my computer. I did a, a – Yeah, uh, <laughs> we're historians, but we don't keep – I, I did, I did a, uh, uh, a trip report on my website about uh, – <clears throat> Two trips I I made, uh, um, and uh, we were in Chicago. Yeah. So. But I also had seen. Uh, um, I also went and uh, visited Tom Tallinn, uh out in Chicago, and then we went to California and interviewed. Um, uh, and met with some people out there, so it's uh, it was quite uh, it was quite a summer. Okay, well, 2019, basically, folks, we started. We <laughs> we'll have to go back. Anybody listening to hear how we really started these two books, but uh, they're roughly two books, two 20 hours apiece of just oral history. And uh, the reason we're doing this is because it's getting to be where time feels like it's speeded up in our UFO association. And everybody doesn't have the time we used to to just type and write or collect or scan and uh, research. And there's so many more people out there in cyberspace in our collective consciousness doing this. Uh, we believe there's a rise in the UFO enthusiast and alien civilizations exist. So I've made Alien Contact Organization as a part of uh, our UFO Association and the American Communications Online. And I've had websites for years. And I had UFO Association, the original one, way back when, uh, in the early 2000s. And uh, I got started back in 1967 with ACIR before we even had uh, MUFON that moved into Texas. But that started up in Wisconsin, I was told. But uh, we're we've started back with uh, balls of light, which Jan and I have familiar 
surprised ourselves with in our own experience. And his story starts as a high school student. And uh, I'm, I'm sort of talking here about Jan Aldrich, but his father, he had questioned about his father. And so he started his story and uh, it sort of combined with Kufo's and his trip. And uh, I was very curious, and also in Barry Greenwood. And Barry's got like the 85 forward because Jan was in the military then, and so was I. He was Army, and I was Navy. So we're starting to combine our history and uh, tag some uh, timelines, I guess. So uh, bear with us, and we'll create the best reality we can together. Now, Jan has a Project1947.com website. And I've had so many, I've got over 35 that I've been combining my downloading of what they call flatten uh, because I had so much data out there. But I'm keeping my blog talk radio shows if you're interested on TJMRCT Radio. Well, Jan, let's see, you've dropped two names. Did you get those dates up for us or where do you want to start? Because Tom Tallene, now, how much do you remember from last week? Well, we talked. We, uh, we we've talked about him several times. Uh, his one of the things that he uh, he's done is uh, <clears throat> he has about two hundred interviews with various people in the UFO field, and uh, I ha- I helped him on, on about uh, I'd say fifty of them. Wow. And we've interviewed, uh, um, well, uh, Frederick Durant, who's in the CIA. We interviewed uh, uh, various people that were in Project Blue Book. Um, we uh, interviewed UFO witnesses uh, uh, around the country. Uh, we've interviewed people that have come to visit from overseas, like we did Klaus Vaughn at Kufos. He uh, he was visiting from Sweden, so that was a very interesting interview. And I asked him about ghost rockets. One of the things he uh, said about ghost rockets, uh, I said, when did they stop? And he said, they never have, which is very, very telling. He said, well, with the... With the demise of the Soviet Union, they they appeared to slow down for a while, but they're still going on. So, uh, and we've in, uh, he interviewed uh, uh, a number of people uh, like uh, uh, Al Chop, who was uh, the uh, the spokesman for. Uh, 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 Project Blue Book in uh, 1951 and 52, 53. Um, uh, <clears throat> uh, he and my colleague Brad Sparks interviewed uh, um, uh, the uh, um, the head of Blue Book uh, uh, when. Uh, um when uh in the sixties with uh, as a as a friend of Heineck, uh Colonel Friend. 
Um, and of course, Colonel Friend was still there at that time saying, well, I don't know what UFOs are. And he was still bleeding Air Force blood if you cut him. He bleed Air Force Blue, but uh, in uh, 2012, he came forward and said, you know what, I've always believed in these things. So that's uh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, very. <laughs> now, you believe J. Allen Hynek had the same epiphany or the same thoughts or theosophy or philosophy? I don't even know what we're going to call it yet. I don't know if it's truth or belief or because it's, I, I, it's, I can't uh, tell about Heineck. He has so many different um, um, stories about when he started to think that there was something to him. Um, he sort of implies that he was uh, he was partway convinced in '52, and then, but you know, then he's talking later and. It's hard to tell exactly. Um, in 1960, for sure. In 1960, for sure, he he went to a conference down in at England Air Force Base, and that's where he really let his hair hang down. And he was talking about the little men in France and all these other things, which would you know. Up to that time, uh, being on the outside looking in, uh, we couldn't figure out what the heck what was this. Because, you know, Heineck was always so negative. But very early, I guess you could say, at least in 1960, you could say he was, he was pretty well, he sounded pretty well convinced uh, when he gave that speech at England Air Force Base. And it was internal in the Air Force. And two years later, he's writing for Yale Scientific Review and uh, debunking UFOs. So, like I said, it's hard to tell when Heineck really, really uh, was convinced that there was something more to UFOs. But I think the 1960, you can say that, that's probably, uh, at least he, uh, he pretty well let his hair down then. Well, let's talk about our own personal uh, timeline real quick so we can get on the record. Now, my first sighting, of course, was prior to Sputnik in the way my mind remembers it, just an overhead in the cloud visitation. Then Sputnik, we know, was 57. Now, you, I was born in 1226-51, December 26, which is a a marked timeline, apparently, for ufology for many people, including uh, Peniston and over in England when the, December 26, I forgot what year, 1980, I think. But uh, what was the first, did we establish you were born in what, 49, or what year were you born? 44. 44. And yes, you started so. with Ball of Lightning, I know, or, uh, and the Discovery and I think your father had a lot to do with chemistry and things like that, right? But we're right. Uh, let's say so. If I'm establishing roughly, I'll say 1954 without knowing the exact date. But uh, so I had a, a higher feeling, and then me dying made me think angels, extraterrestrials, or whatever you want to call them. Uh, I didn't know about Star Trek till many years later, and my parents wouldn't let me stay up and watch it. But uh, 
1967 is when I was recruited by the government and did my first paperwork. And my husband worked at NASA, and I know he called me up in 69, and they talked about one of them, I don't know if it's Buzz Aldrin, who I forgot, but said, bogey, 10 o'clock high, something like that. So I got to hear that. But my first, uh, I saw UFOs go overhead in Houston. So we moved to Birmingham about 1978, and then we had sightings in Birmingham. But my biggest one with my children was in Rochester, 1983, I believe, between 81 and 83, because I moved back to Houston, 84, and went to Africa. We had a sighting, uh, but that's the one where it was a big white light, and two red balls shot up and set up over it. One went one way, and one went the other way, and I never got explanation, but I wasn't asking anyone either. So, uh, and then I've got on the investigation where I met Jay Allen Hynek in 85 when he asked me about Aliens Among Us. Ruth Montgomery had just put out a book, and he asked me to continue his work on the airplane, but I didn't know why, and he was very amused with my story. So I guess in a way, in 2019, you and I got together to start moving forward with UFO Association and Oral Archives. But uh, that's sort of a short, I didn't have all mine, but that's a short rundown. Now, yours would start with your dad, and then did you have a physical sighting, or did you just strictly go to Washington because of the ball of lightning? Well, ball of lightning was uh, was what, how I started, but I guess you could say ball of lightning is... Uh, is uh, related to you well not related but in the same category as UFOs uh, nobody thought it was real for a long time right uh, so uh, and I started researching thinking. ball lightning and just by researching ball lightning I came across UFOs I I got Rupelt's book but I remember uh, I remember the uh, 1954 sighting of the. Uh, in fact, I I, uh, I I transcribed it off the radio as fast as I could. I was listening to the radio. It's 1954. It's um, Mary's Mary's Field or Marysville, Ohio. It's a very famous sighting. Anybody that can look it up can find it. Um, and, uh, this cigar shaped object was over the, uh, local school and, uh, this white material was falling from it and it was like spider webs and people would, the kids would pick it up and the teachers would pick it up and, uh, it would evaporate in their hands and it was very strange, and I, I I noticed on the radio. I mean, the 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 news guy was just given a a very long news story about that. And I remember writing that down, but I didn't, you know, I didn't continue interest in it. That was just one of the, I think, one of my first 
experiences about hearing about UFOs in 54 there was, and it was really, uh, I always thought that was a really strange case. Um, so, uh, it's in Keo also, and it's in the UFO evidence, and uh, I, I, you think you can go online, and it's on my site, I talk about, uh, I have a clipping of, uh, about, uh, Captain Bob White, who was UFO spokesman in 54 through about 56, 57. I think he was early 57. He retired. And uh, he was he was the one that had to knock down all the UFO cases, except for one except. He was like Colonel Friend. He believed in UFOs. <laughs> and he gave Keogh some hints. And some, he uh, shot him some things that were unclassified. Uh, so uh, it's kind of interesting that a lot of people associated with Project Blue Book or or the uh, um, the uh, Public Information Office on UFOs are uh, are believers. So it's it's kind of uh, interesting. Uh, Keel was going to put uh, Bob White's uh, belief in UFOs after he retired from the Army, but he asked him not to. He said, well, I still might get in trouble. So uh, I did, did I say the Army? I meant the Air Force. Um, so he deleted it from his book, Flying Saucers Conspiracy. Um, he had a number of people in, uh, in the... Uh, uh, in the Pentagon and elsewhere that were uh, sympathetic to his ideas. So uh, they would feed him stuff, too. And, of course, he's a Navy West Point graduate, so it's always uh, things coming to Keogh. Um, I think uh, he's one of the first UFO books I read. The real one was uh, Edward Ruppelt, Report on Unidentified Flying Objects. Um, and if anybody hasn't read it, you should, if you, you don't really know anything about UFOs unless you, unless you read that book. And the other thing I say is, uh, UFO evidence and both of them are real cheap. You can get them on Amazon for a couple of bucks each. Um, and if you're interested, it's well worth your while. Well, I'll put that on here. Give me the names of the books. I'll put suggest on because we have a little room today's show. Sure. UFO, UFO evidence. Evidence. Okay. Now, volume one was and it was uh, uh, National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena published it. So, uh, uh, real interesting. Uh, report on UFOs and how they uh, appear to operate and uh, things about uh, patterns, uh, maneuvers, and of course how uh, 
well here. And I'll need the other book too. Yeah, um, it's uh, Captain Edward Ruppelt, uh report on unidentified flying objects, and he was the head of Blue Book in 51 through 53, and uh, that was, that was, uh, of course, when the, the name big of Washington book? flap happened, so it was... Uh, it was really uh, an important What's time. What's the name of that book, though? I've got Captain Edward Ruppelt, and I've got yeah, it. Uh, but I can't... Uh, the Report on Unidentified Flying Objects. Okay, I'm typing it in. Unidentified Flying Objects. Now, is that the one that uh, Stanton read, Stanton T. Friedman? I'm sure he Kilo? read it, yes. Now, that's Captain Edward Ribhelt, The Report on Unidentified Flying Objects. What was the name of Kehoe's book again, so I can write it down? Well, he had several. So well, the, first the first one was one? Flying Saucers Are Real. That was in that's 1950. That was in 1950. That was a bestseller. Um, now that's Donald Kehoe or is, how do we Donald E. Kehoe he's a major and a retired major from the Marine Corps okay and uh, his second book was Flying Saucers from Outer Space And his third book was uh, Flying Saucers Conspiracy. And his fourth book was um, Flying Saucers Top Secret. That was in 1960. And that's about the early days of, well... Yeah, it's about the early days of NICAP. I can, yeah, I think that's a pretty, pretty way, pretty good way to uh, characterize it. Um, and uh, I think the uh, last one was Aliens in the Sky. He wrote that uh, before he died. Aliens from Space. I am sorry. Aliens from space. Right, and uh, yeah, I don't think that. I, I think the book company decided that that was going to be the title, not him. But uh, yeah, that was uh, that was written in. Let's see here. Um, Nineteen seventy three. So that was um <coughs> well, that's a lot of information. He also wrote another one with Gordon Lore about uh it was a NICAP publication. It's called uh, Strange Effects from UFOs. 
and it's kind of rare. And uh, I like that one, of course, but I'm I'm interested in effects and UFOs, so that's that's one of the main things I study. So. Oh, really? So I like to study human behavior. Uh, I don't really study the uh, uh, apparatus or the hard drive or uh, what makes it go. I know a lot of electrical engineers are interested in that or uh, research and development. Uh, but you like to study... Uh, UFOs affect, affects on... Uh, people in the environment, or people and animals in the environment, which are that's a kind of a uh, let's put it this way: as far as UFO sightings, those kind of sightings are kind of rare. But even though they're rare, uh, the uh, the um, there's plenty of them still. Like I say, even though they're rare, say they're one in a couple of hundred or one in, uh, some of them are one in 500, depending on what kind of effects happen. Like uh, heat, heat from UFOs, that may be one in 10,000 of those cases you find. And uh, as far as we know, uh, we don't know how many cases we have. Kufos thinks they have 100,000. I don't know how many MUFON thinks they have. They're pretty close to 100,000 also. In fact, I think they've passed 100,000 cases. Oh, really? So, so that's... So uh, we don't really collect cases, but we study... I study human behavior and cultural change. And I do American culture and international relations as it relates to uh, paranormal desk or paranormal and uh, the interest in uh, metaphysics our uh, theology everything to do with cosmology right metaphysics falls under cosmology and my ace folk life falls under well, folk life whether it's fairy tales or real or theology or theosophy you know that depends on the individual it's very subjective so i don't really know where UFO Association falls under, except we're archivists and historians, but uh, most of us are UFO enthusiasts. We just don't know, you know, how to have a community portal for everybody. I'm trying to find the proper portal description. So I'm, I've have alien contact orgs separate, alienologists separate from. Uh, Janet and a lot of the people that do these uh, events, they keep like MUFON and UFO hardcore, uh, they call it nuts and bolts people, separate from those that like to talk about the psychological effect or do past lives or prior uh, past life regressions or they do uh, abductions, right, which uh, was it Mac, John, was it Bob Mac, Bill Mac, John Mac, something like that. That kind of work. Uh, Dr. John Mack up at Harvard, yeah. Okay, so you understand what I'm saying. They've seen right. over time uh, between contactees, abductees, ufologists, alienologists, they've separated. Now, I've been using alienologists with uh, people on my radio for the past few years, and I noticed uh, Alejandro Rojas that has International UFO Congress in Phoenix. I saw a YouTube on him after I talked with Rick Doty. And uh, 
was separating all this and putting it out to free social media, how I was separating terms because of uh, analytics and, you know, how we say keywords or search engine optimization. So that's what I sort of got into out of uh, because I had so many domains and websites for years and it just got to be too much on me. So I've got to bring it back into one portal community. <laughs> it's not easy, folks. So uh, you and I are pretty much doing the UFO Association, but we can still break it down into my uh, American Communication Online company. And under the company, I was just talking to some people in India to help me try to make an Adobe portal, community portal, and then uh, break it down. You know, what, uh, I don't know, the hardcore would be, uh, how would you say the Bob Lazar vehicles at Area 51? Because Rick Doty worked with the Air Force in Albuquerque, and they have a whole story over there with uh, Wendell Stevens and uh, I guess Roger Moore. You know that whole thing. That's more Albuquerque. And you were talking about Eglin. Where, where, but I always think if you want to say logistics, I think of Dr. Uh, Halleck at J. Allen Hynek with the Chicago group, KUFOs in Chicago. And but they don't have an event annually, do they, in Chicago, other than the Pyramid Con? Do y'all have I an annual? Don't, event? I don't know of any uh, event that Kufos is. Uh, they had one Kevin. conference one time, and I think they got a bad taste in their mouth, so they were never going to do it again. Oh, they didn't care for it. All right. I, yeah, I don't hard. know for sure. I can't tell you that for sure, but I think there was a pro there was a problem. Um, okay. Okay. I just got my uh, trip report up here. Yeah, we talked Good. in August. 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 Uh, it's been that long. Yeah. Now, it's not the first time we talked, though. That was that was out at. Uh, I was out at Kufos. We had talked. Uh, I think about two or three weeks before then. Well, July Fourth weekend, maybe because you couldn't make July Fourth. Maybe I don't know. Well, we. I should have written all this down, folks. But but we get so busy, don't we, Jan? Thinking. And uh, but anyway, we'll just use. Yeah, mid- I believe it was in uh, in July because the uh, trip before that, where I went to meet Tom Tallane, was May twenty seventh to uh, June sixth. Yeah, I uh, think we talked on the phone about that time, and we talked about Erica Luke's. Do you remember? During did you talk to Erica on her show before Tom? Yeah, Tallane I, I did about I don't know about three or four shows with her. Okay. Um, remembrance of NICAP and about the people that work there. Um, Barry Greenwood wanted me to uh, talk about things that mo- most people don't talk about. You know, the people that work there and uh, what they were like. And he Aww. said, somebody has to, has to do this. He says, a lot of these people are dead now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, so, uh, you know it by heart. You know, you have their writings, but, you know, what were they like in real life? So uh, uh, we did a couple of um, shows with Erica, and then one of the persons that is still alive is Gordon Lore, and uh, he did a book, uh, Flying Saucers from Beyond Earth, which is about his uh, time in NICAP, uh, uh during the uh, uh, yeah. 60s, the 1960s, 
and then he had his own uh, organization in uh, in California, in New Mexico, in uh, 19, about 1970 through 1980. Well, 2019 was an interesting year because we had a lot of people that were new, young, uh, up and comers. And they didn't know what they were doing, and they were calling us nuts in the business because they wanted to compete in uh, YouTube numbers with different people. And we had one of the girls, young, and uh, she had been hanging out with some people in MUFON in Phoenix, and she started talking stuff, you know, that wasn't true. And Erica Lukes got uh, involved and called me. And uh, we talked about it. So that's how Erica Lukes and I hooked up was over social media and various groups of people that were coming in and taking over our UFO groups. And uh, they literally will uh, sneak their way in and then take over. And then one girl trusted me to try to – she had to be in my group. And one of the other girls that was in my group from 2017 called me and made her a moderator. Uh, administrator type and uh, then she just took all my people and went made, made her own group interestingly enough and then said I was crazy and uh, that Erica was crazy so uh, and they put that on radio which I guess we could have sued uh, but I don't know what's going on on that with Eric anymore I just dropped it but Jan uh, Jan Harzan asked me about what was going on too because it was women in 2019 a lot of newcomers, and they started doing pretty good reports, so it made them look pretty good. But I don't know what their ulterior motive was. So we found out in 2019 that a lot of people were just wanting the content, but we don't know what they were selling, if that makes any sense. Right. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Like different right, UFO right. groups. Uh, oh. There was a Sunday Network News or something like that. But uh, uh, the girl didn't have a real name. She was using an alias. I don't. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm. Greenwood is uh, even less uh, interested in current history than I am. But um, I'm mostly interested in um, the history of UFOs. And like I said, uh, as far as UFOs themselves, I'm interested in. Effects associated with UFOs, so that's uh, that's where I am. So I, you know, I I don't interact a lot with uh, current ufology. We do have a a small history group, and of course, uh, uh, Michael Swords is the head of that with uh, uh, Robert Powell, and of course, we wrote the. Uh, there's uh, ten of us that helped write the uh, UFOs in government uh, book. That's uh, um, it's not the last word in history, but it's it's a pretty uh, comprehensive book on uh, early history up to the uh, maybe the two thousands. So. Um, well, do you have a channel on YouTube that we can look at? No, I don't at? do any, you know, uh, I yeah. think it's like I told you in, uh, at Kufos, you know. Uh, I have more than I can do just trying to uh, to, to, to wrangle my own files. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I just I, I occasionally come on 
people's shows um, to talk about UFOs. Uh, <clears throat> and, uh, and that's I'm, good. I'm, uh, I'm sure we're not going to solve it in the next few years, so one of my things is to uh, give some people some leads and things like that that are going to come after me that they can uh, follow. So that that's that's my idea of coming on shows and things. Uh, I have my website, and that's uh, that's a that's mostly a history website, but it's it's got a lot of it's a lot of things that people have missed about UFOs. They uh, uh, different uh, effects and maneuvers and uh, actions of UFOs. So. Um, I've tried to stay away from mostly the uh, well-known cases. You can't do that completely, but I've tried to introduce people to some of the high interest, high reliability cases Um to get them interested in something else than just the, uh, let's talk about Captain Mantle's crash or Washington D.C. or let's let's you know let's really talk about some important cases that uh, have maybe slipped away from people's memory or they never knew about them, um, and that's what I've done. And of course, I've been I've been combing government archives for a, for a while, so I found some things that. Uh, many people may not know about. And uh, actually, I, I, what I do is try to stay in the background. I uh, uh, Dominic Weinstein is a captain in the uh, uh, gendarmerie in in France. Uh, he's in the French uh, uh, French police intelligence. And uh, what I did with him is uh, we started uh, compiling uh, cases that uh, where air crews were involved. So he had uh, he had about uh, fifteen hundred cases where air crews are involved, uh, and I was helping him with the United States, and then uh, uh, Dr. Haynes was helping him with the United States cases and he was getting cases from France and Spain England all over the all over the world and uh, was actually uh, his his case list was used by the uh, French space agency which does have a UFO uh, study still going on a government study and it was used by the French Space Agency to to um, work on things like radar and things like that. So now was, was this before or after Oxcart? Because when I think of uh, I don't know government and nuclear and I don't know, there's something about Oxcart and nuclear. How do you separate it in your files? Uh, uh. About time well, frame, nuclear, you... nuclear. The, I think about the uh, the most known, well-known person, and that is uh, uh, 
Richard Hastings, who uh, wrote UFOs and Nukes. And so uh, uh, he did an interview with us. He did an interview with Tom and I, and uh, we exchanged material. Um, uh, so uh, it was involved there. Uh, I've tried to uh, uh, cooperate with other people that are doing various projects. Um, uh, George Eberhardt uh, uh, had this um, UFO outline of UFO history that must have at least a thousand different entries and I uh, I was working on the earlier UFO history with him so I think we've got almost 2,000 entries uh, in this UFO history and when you put things in chronological order that you can rapidly go through, you see a lot of uh, relationships that uh, may not have appeared by just reading somebody's book. So that's that's one of the things we did. So I, I work with that. I've, I've worked with people that are doing uh, electromagnetic effects uh, catalogs overseas, like in Germany and England. Um, uh, I've tried to, uh, work with people in Australia and, uh, several other pages, and this is all on, more or less on the QT, not, not making a big deal about it. So that's, that's, uh, that's where I am. I'm not, I'm not trying to run around toot my whole own horn or, or saying I know what's going on because I don't and the but more I know the less I know what's that but you have what you've collected so let's say being humble people are doing our best I I've studied it out of uh, human nature investigations but weren't allowed to share what I was doing so I don't know you know now in, I'm retired and I'm coming out I can talk about things, but uh, very limited. Uh, but as long as it's with paranormal desk and personal experiences, I'm told that's fine, right? But the Oxcart program, uh, you know, back in the day, there was all these different companies that wanted to reverse tech, use reverse technology or get in on the uh, space race. And, uh, U2 fights, the Soviet Union and all of that, it got to be where it was need to know Russians versus the USA and all that. But now in secret space, so to speak, or the new space program, they're all working together and always have. As long as I was in uniform, we worked, you know, we knew about, we thought, whether you say that this propaganda and the Russians are the enemy, they can ask and then they'll say your programs. But uh, I'm not sure where we're going to go with the well, let's say the CIA, for instance, on Oxcart, just that word alone, the Oxcart program, uh, in the sixth, uh, I don't even know when that was, I'm looking, titanium was scarce, methods surveilling it, controlling the quality, it has something to do, uh, titanium metals corporation, 80% had to be rejected, it was not until 61, when a delegation from headquarters visited the officials of a company, Inform them the objectives of high priority of the ox cart program. And I've got titanium in my neck. So a lot of it, 
I've heard about some of the uh, aliens wouldn't allow us to have certain, this stuff starts sounding wacky, but in the uh, pioneering achievement of the ox cards, uh, 62, there was a test pilot, but that we were reverse technologizing things on the moon and the, some things we couldn't have and that has to do, I don't know, but it, it all seems to do with the UFO business now, like gravity and space and I don't know, Lockheed, Boeing. So is there a name for all of that? It used to be uh, on the... I don't uh, know. I, you know, you're, you're, you're getting beyond metals. me. You're getting beyond where I am. <laughs> so well, I, 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 can't really, I can't really give a, a, a very good opinion there. I, I, like I said, I've been, I've been doing UFOs, and that's more than enough for me for uh, 50 years. Well, this, and, all, this all goes so, with it. It's just... I mean the 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 ox cart was a was a plane that could go uh, Mach three. Now that's that's pretty fast. That's three times the speed of sound. Um, but it was just a fueled aircraft. Um, so is that so the John it's, it, it's, it's nothing more than a you know a, 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 a souped up chemical propelled aircraft. So. Um, Maybe we can put all the people that were yeah, pilots. Now, now titanium. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my father worked on that <coughs> very early. That's in what the I thought. The 1950s, and uh, <coughs> it was supposed to be the. Uh, they used to call it the Cinderella medal because it was light and it was strong, and it had wow. a high melting point. And so it had a lot of good possibilities for use in uh, in, uh, in aerospace uh, type of um, things. So, and I, I know that uh, uh, he was he was working for uh, Chase Brass and Copper, which is part of Kennecott Copper at the time, and. They were doing a lot with uh, titanium and uh, a lot of the new metals. They were working on the new metals at the time, things that uh, um, some of these things were really exotic, what they could do. They had exotic properties. Um, rhenium was one of the metals, and it was very expensive at the time. I think it was $25,000 to get a pound of pure rhenium and or maybe it was an ounce i i don't remember it was a it was a fantastic amount of money just for a small amount of but it was it had certain things uh, it was transparent to uh infrared so that was that was kind of a a unique property that uh, uh that metal had and so yeah like i said titanium uh was uh uh, uh, a very new metal. You didn't have to have uh, the the uh, uh, a lot of the things that the uh, World War Two. What they what they used in World War Two. You could have uh, much lighter stuff, and uh, you could push it much faster because it wasn't as heavy to uh, push around in the in the atmosphere. And a lot of the things in the space program the same way. It's uh, 
and of course for every metal you have you have you have good points and bad points so it's always you know it's a trade off on things and sometimes you try to make allies allies alloys which will um, give you properties of both materials together brass is an ally uh, bronze is an ally so uh, well but, can you address the element 115 or anything to do with uh, oh Area yeah 51? Uh, yeah there's uh, there's a there's still these people still exist. One fifteen um, stability. What we've made, what we've made so far is highly unstable. It's very radioactive. It breaks down almost immediately after you make it. Uh, I know Lazar claims that he walked around with some of it. Quite frankly, he's crazy as a loon. Um, nobody walks around with 115. It's, uh, it's, it's, if you have a big amount of 115, you're dead. You well, do put you it think in your back pocket and walk out of Area 51, you're dead. So he it would be have, ashes now. So, so maybe he put the wrong number. Maybe he was calling it that. I, I don't care if it's number. 115, 116, 117. 17. 114. These things were supposed to be stable. Right. None of them have been found yet. We haven't found a stable element in that group of elements that's supposed to be stable. It's called the Island of Stability. Now, there's still people that are holding out and saying, well, we're going to find an isotope that's stable. Okay, call me when you do. That's that's what I say. I'm completely, um, I I don't believe it. I don't believe it. uh, they say it's physically possible that there's enough neutrons to overwhelm the uh, the uh, force that is pushing the protons out of the uh, nucleus of these uh, island of stability, 114 to about 117. I think somebody claimed they made 118 a little bit ago. None of these things have been stable, not one of them. At the different isotope levels, you know, some of these have four or five different isotope levels um, where they have more neutrons. And the uh, the latest theory is there, if there's enough neutrons compared to the number of protons, the, uh, the binding force of the nucleus will overcome uh, uh, tearing apart of the nucleus because of the... Uh, uh, radioactivity, and so it'll be stable. And there's supposed to be small amount of uh, items that are there. Now everybody's trying to say, well, it's just isotopes of 115. Okay, let's see one. Nobody's nobody's the 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 stuff they've made so far. I think they have uh, four different isotopes of 115, if I'm correct. None of them are stable. They don't. They don't even last for a second. They've they got just break down almost immediately. They're highly radioactive, and nobody's walking around with them in their pocket or well, taking them off an area fifty-one. Here, there. That 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 that's crazy talk. 
Well, what they were doing, they had the hole in the middle. We call those, uh, what do we call those? Like when you put the, back in the day when they made in Egypt, the uh, they would stack, they make their own batteries, right? But it's, uh, what is it called? It starts with a T. What am I looking for, folks? The name, uh, it's like a hole in the middle of it, but you have to stack nine. And uh, it's... Uh, they have to do that with the elements, but we're in the early stages. So it's like, you remember when we did bad, or no, I shouldn't say, do you remember? Did you study how the uh, first batteries were made? We're at that space right now with uh, UFOs and alienology, where you stack, uh, it, and it has to do with uh, black holes and wormholes in science. Uh, but we've got to get there together. It, it's uh We've got to talk to each other about this island of stability, whether it even exists or not. But the information went all the way up to element 118, and uh, the joint uh, working together with the people in experiments, R&D, in the National Library, Oak Ridge. Uh, you, uh, my relatives come from the Oak Ridge National Laboratory in Tennessee on some of them with my husband that was born in Knoxville. But... Uh, it's funny because Germany uh, had something to do with that. And, you know, paperclip, when we got the Germans, but was it Russia? It was Russia that got a lot of the other group from paperclip. But this uh, is still the power of cosmic events that deal with, uh, what do they call them? Uh, the, the circles and like a donut. It's used universally in everything we do with the sacred geometry. Even with the Hadron Colliders. Do you know what I'm talking about? Talking uh, about the nucleus of the well, atom? It, yeah, in order to do this, we have to stack nine. It's like uh, I've seen it done uh, elementary back in the uh, Egyptian days when they, they learned about batteries. It's sort of like zero-point energy, but you take uh, well, nine. As far as like I a, know, the Egyptians never had batteries. There's some people that say... Some of their pictures look like they're making batteries, but no, I I don't know anything about batteries before the um, the Renaissance. Oh. You know, after after the Renaissance times, this is uh, this is. Uh, oh okay. Yeah, I don't know well, anything then, uh, about ancient batteries. What about it, the intelligence? There are people that are saying that there's a possibility that the uh, the Greeks may have had something about uh, like a battery, but uh, it. it it's so vague and everything. There's nobody that can you can't you can't hang your hat on that. And, okay. And well, then a lot of people want to get in there and they read something like that and then they make up all kinds of stories to go around it. Uh, yeah. Well, we're trying to find a way to talk to each other, and that's what you and I are doing as well. But you know how people are talking about the zero point energy fields. Yeah. So and, what is the zero point energy field? Well, I don't know. I I I I've read about this stuff and it makes no sense. You think uh, it's part of UFO history? Are you following? No, I now? don't think it is. I think this uh, uh, this clown out there in England is uh, is is responsible for most of that. Quantum um, field theory. Cook. Cook. Um, uh, I think it's uh, I think it's David Cook or no, it's not him. It's it's a guy named Cook, and he's crazy as a loon. 
he well, used to work uh, for Jane's. He used to work for Jane's, and he wrote a book called Zero Point uh, Energy. Energy. And uh, rational wiki. He thought that the, somehow the Germans had developed anti gravity, and he's as crazy as a loon. And you know what he um he uh, his ideas were so crazy he disappeared from ufology but now he's back again because they're trying to recycle they try to recycle all these hoaxes over that's what and over I was again. wondering yeah right, oh, that's uh, where I was going yeah u, u, so, ufology is is full of hoaxes from the very beginning and so well, we need to address it's proved that wrong. It's proved. It, it's it's completely debunked, and then ten or fifteen years later, here it is back again. We can never <laughs> get we can never get rid of anything in ufology. Interesting. Um, and it's like and some of the people that are stays. some of the people that are guilty of this are supposedly the uh, leading lights of ufology. Well, that's why um, I'm trying to check it with you. And have right. your association uh, checks and balances. Yeah, the the Murray Island case um, in 1947 supposedly happened before Arnold. Um, now, does that have to do Ray with Ray Palmer was were... one of the big advocates of this. <coughs> the two guys said they saw this from a uh, a boat near Murray Island. And it was a UFO that was in trouble, and it it was uh, things were dropping out of it, and they supposedly collected this stuff, and it's a it's a magic material. June twenty first. Well, the Air Force the Air Force picked some of that up. They went up there and talked to these people. Uh, Kenneth Arnold uh, was there, and uh, Captain Smith. United Airlines pilot, they both went with the Air Force investigators and talked to these people. What well, is that? The and they were, they were, uh, they were, yeah, yeah. I was, yeah, that's, I that, that's it. Earth. So the FBI investigated these guys. All right. And they found out they were hoaxers. Well, what about the men in black? That's a franchise now, but it's uh, uh, well, men like, in black. Uh, it's it's like I told you earlier. The men in black originated with a guy named uh, um, uh, Bender here in Connecticut, in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and he had a UFO organization which was oh, uh, uh, worldwide. He had he had uh, people in Australia, New Zealand. India. Uh, he had a branch in England. Well, you think the CIA just picked it up because it was convenient? Well, I'm, tell- I'm telling you about about how the men in black uh, appeared in UFO, UFO uh, <laughs> myth mythology. Okay, good. Bender right, Bender decided Bender was having trouble keeping keeping up with the organization. He wasn't a he wasn't a uh, a man that wanted to run. He 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 liked to read about UFOs. He liked to write about UFOs. But he wasn't uh, uh, somebody oh. that liked to keep accounts and and write write newsletters and uh, uh, keep membership records. He didn't want to do that kind of stuff. He's not. He wasn't. He didn't have that kind of a temperament. Well, 
Okay. And so he said in 1953, oh, the men in black came and visited me and told me to get out of the subject. And he implied they were government. He implied they were government. Well, he said that they were government. And they told he said he couldn't tell you who they were or where they were or anything. Well, can I and tell you quit. a story? He quit. Now, if the if the men in government are concerned about Flying Saucers International, which was Bender's organization, and they wanted to shut it down, and he had a branch in England, and the branch in England survived to way into the 2000s, why didn't they not shoot, go over to England and shut them down too? The story makes no sense. Well, can I tell you a story? Because I'm going to tell you the truth about my men in black. Now, it's uh, not the beginning and it's not the end, but it's real to me. When I was in Washington, D.C., and I went for my rehire, May 10th, 1987, and I had a polygraph. I'd already had some, uh, it put some sodium pentothal or something in my system that made me react. My nose was running and I was really emotional, just a little bit. It was sort of creamy white and they put it in and I asked the lady, they were supposed to be taking my blood, but it was right before my polygraph. And I, I mean, I was a already trained hospital corpsman in the Navy, so I knew what she was doing and she was trying to convince me it was for coagulating the blood or something. What's bullshit? You know what I'm saying? But anyway, I mean, I was there. I was already at, there for my rehire with the Central Intelligence Agency. I was up, uh, already had my uh, polygraph, retina scan, done my writing, seen the psychiatrist and all that. So this is the second polygraph, and I have to go in, and I've got something in me, so I'm being very truthful. But the men in black come to play because – Part of the polygraph, and I'm hooked up. I've already got some kind of sodium pentothal or something in my blood. I'm in strapped to the chair with it around my heart and my hands, and they're having me read cards for my psychic ability and all this stuff. They bring men in black, about five of them, young agents, and stand there in front of me hooked up to my polygraph and tell me to remember these people or at least remember these men for at least 10 years. I said, 10 years, I'll be dead in 10 years because I thought I was going to be working for them and was going to be like a courier out of country all the time, right? <laughs> Which we don't have, couriers don't have a long-lasting effect. They're the ones that are carrying the secrets, right, <laughs> on the airplanes. Anyway, I got out of that business. But the men in black were brought in on my polygraph. So here's something you can take to the bank. I'm telling you that in 1987, our intelligence agency used men in black, at least in my polygraph. Now, I can't tell you why, but they were men in black, meaning they that's you know what they were. They were all in black uniforms, and then when one came to – an agent came to visit my husband, the young boy that was in training that came to visit and talked to him about coming and teaching again in Washington. And Tom didn't want to teach intelligence because he was army like you. Okay. He was no different than asking Tom than asking you because <laughs> you know what S2 division. That's all. But he was an agent for Reagan. 
But he, the boy told him, do you know how long it took me to go find a thin black tie in today's? But the boy said he was supposed to wear black because that's what they were told we were accustomed to seeing. Now, that offended Tom because he was a very intelligent, intelligent CIA officer, an agent that worked on UFOs for Ronald Reagan. <laughs> but men in black are put into our psyche, and I don't, I don't know why. But do you think so when they come, you, they don't have to say anything that you know who they are? I, I don't know, but, uh, you know, in the, uh, in the uh, 40s and 50s, uh, black was, uh, you know, the man's color. Uh, you know, everybody wore black or gray. I know, or, that, that makes sense. The, uh, the, the preachers might have worn blue, but uh, uh, most suits. everybody wore black or gray, so... I I, I'm trying to I'm trying to figure this out. Bender yeah. is uh, uh, I got all kinds of uh, clippings about that. He got out of the UFO thing. This is the way this is the way he used it. He said he got visited by government people that told him to quit. So why didn't well, somebody in England visit visit the guys over there and tell them to quit? I, 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 uh, <coughs> Well, would you put what I told you as folklore or ufology? Because I'm I don't think it's I, I don't think it's 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 UFO myth. We got a lot of myths. Mosley, James Mosley. Now he used to have a uh, a following of 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 people that that hung on his every word and and thought he was serious. This guy was never serious. He was always a jokester. He. Uh, uh, I don't know if he ever had a job. I think he inherited his uh, his money, and he uh, slowly frittered uh, it away until he died. But uh, he sees this guy standing under an awning in a rainstorm, and he's got a he's got a dark hat and a black overcoat and black pants, and he took a picture of him. And he had his uh, all his friends convinced. Oh, this is a man in black. No, it isn't. It's a guy that's out in the out in the rain trying to keep dry. It's just a guy. And he had a, everybody wore a pork pie in the fifties until Kennedy got in, and then that went out of style. Everybody had a had a pork pie hat and uh, and dark suits. And I know when I was going to school, uh, my father used to, you know, on Sunday we used to get dressed up, and that's what I used to wear when we went to church. So I'm not a man in black, but I wore black. <laughs> and and when I went off to college, I had a black uh, a black overcoat, and so. Uh, until the '60s came, and then we, uh, then everything went crazy. Well, this is what we've got to, cl to clarify because there's, you know, we say misinformation, information, and disinformation, and of course we have propaganda. But the ufology business with the kids today, they don't know what to believe, just like journalism. And I'm having well, to fight people in social media. All the time because the journalists, I'm a member of Society of Professional Journalists, and like I said about 2019 and these girls, we had a huge 
thing about this one girl that using a false name, uh, what was that name she used? Chant Hannah. And it was her false name. And uh, she got out there using a false name on UFO and in Facebook. And you've been on her show. I have. I have. December 14th. And that's not even her real name. But she does. Yeah, well, it was, just a, it was just a show to talk about what had happened in 2009. It was, uh, it was about, uh, I think they had about two dozen people on it. It was wow. all, uh, it was just talking about developments in 2009 and what was your opinion of it, which I didn't find that very, because there were so many different ideas. However, oh. I'll say this about uh, um, Men That's in Black. So. Somebody somebody uh, said that uh, uh, Frederick Durant was probably one of the Men in Black. Now I don't know how they got this idea. I guess he's a CIA guy and he was in black. And so we asked him point blank. I said, "Well, you." Do you know this guy? He says, I never heard of him. He said, no, I wasn't one of the men that went to visit him and told him he had to get out of ufology. He <laughs> said, I, I did not do that. That's that's Somebody's trying to uh, pin something on me that uh, I'm not. Now, he's a friend of Rupelt's. Yeah. He, Rupel, he thought, just about everybody thought Rupelt was the nicest guy in the world. Um, and they were really impressed with him, but, uh, well, I don't care who's trying to collect information and share it out there. A lot of newcomers came in and are doing a good job of reporting, but they've got to cite their sources. And as long as you have the human, like you and me, I'm talking my truth. You're talking yours are what we've collected. And, uh, I found it funny that, that over that girl coming to my group and then taking my people and leaving out of my group. How did she take uh, Yeah, she took all my people. She she does that intent. She did that intentionally. She was how, working for how, how some other guy. That? I mean, how does how does she do that? You just I it's mean, all free social media and Facebook. It's uh, groups, okay. and they go in and they tell everybody uh, something about you or something, and they do it, and then they they block you in social media and have all your people. And move them over to another group. And I've got another guy that does that too. But they do that. They'll move them around. I don't know what they're doing except collecting people for numbers. You know, uh, I don't join many groups. I I don't join many groups. I just join one or two because they're news groups. People post stuff. Right. Well, there's all kinds of don't. I don't don't join groups to speculate about UFOs or things like that. Well, I just have people people that try to put up. up, Yeah, I try to find people that are uh, researching and uh, actually doing some work and uh, try to uh, look at what they're doing. Uh, Now, she had uh, an agenda, but she claimed that. Yeah, I uh, think everybody. The problem with ufology is that's what we got. We got too many agendas and not enough uh, research. Right, uh, that's that's right. my problem with ufology, uh, and it's been all the time. Now, as far as the men in black go, uh, when they uh, when NICAP put out the UFO evidence, uh, Berliner told me he says uh, 
when I was down there visiting, Belirinov told me, I said, we... Well, we had we had a couple of visitors from the CIA, and, okay. and he said, I said, how did you know they were from the CIA? Did they identify themselves? He said, no. He said they bought uh, some copies of the UFO evidence, uh, and they asked some questions, and uh, he said they had uh, cheap suits and, and uh, what looked like almost cardboard shoes. <laughs> he said wow. they, they were not well-dressed. Well, they have to go buy their suits, I guess. Yeah, he said they were not, uh, he was, were were not there. So, uh, later on, the CIA uh, came back where they identified themselves, and they talked to Dick Hall. Uh, And they told Dick Hall that they were putting him in for clearance so they could discuss UFOs with him more. But they, you know, they... They asked him questions about sightings and everything, and uh, Dick just gave him copies of the UFO stuff. The, the only thing he wouldn't give him was uh, things where the people uh, were in sensitive positions and they didn't want to be associated with a UFO sighting. But um, it's like I said, everybody tries to say, well, the government infiltrates these UFO groups. Why? They got better information than we do. Um, right. I don't know. Right. Yeah. I, don't know I, I wouldn't know why they would it. try to infer, uh Hall let them have anything they wanted. Anybody came in and the news people came in and uh uh you know, he 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 was happy to help them cuz you might get some good publicity and sometimes you didn't. Sometimes you got bad publicity. But um yeah, the uh uh the the things were open. Everything was open. I mean, uh, you could go to NICAP and get almost anything you wanted. They had a, a few things, like I said, locked up in a in a special filing cabinet, which, like I said, it was people that were it, it, currently in the military, and they didn't want people to know who they were. Or like Captain White. Uh, Keogh had uh, somebody that worked in Air Force Intelligence, and this guy uh, gave Keogh some some UFO reports. They were unclassified, but he gave it to Keogh, and uh, so Keogh would want to keep his name out of it. Uh, He had people in the Navy that were uh, giving him stuff, but it wasn't classified. He wouldn't take any classified information. So the the same thing on the other other side... uh, Anybody could get, come in and get anything they, uh, they, you know, they asked about. Um, so well, yeah, we're open source here, you and I. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I'm doing know, this to help. Uh, all and I'm saying I'm is the government free. has more and better information than we do. Right. And and, and they, you know, in, unless it's 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 uh, one specific incident that they're interested in, I I can't see them. Um. Uh, be in this uh, organization, and for sure, Bender, he may have had a few good UFO cases. I think he had one in uh, Franklin, Indiana, which was really spectacular, and the whole town just about belonged to his organization because just about everybody in Franklin, Indiana had seen this UFO, uh, which uh, a cigar-shaped UFO in the sky, and all these smaller UFOs came out of it, and it was 
all these people in Franklin, Indiana had witnesses, so they found out about Bender, and they all joined Flying Saucers International, the whole town. And they actually had a parade with Bender, you know, as the as the honorary uh, marshal um, for uh, one of their parades because, uh, you know, they thought this was so great. And like he's like I said, the whole town just about belonged to the the the, the mayor, the police chief, um, <clears throat> just about every uh, official, and 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 most of the citizens belonged to Flying Saucers International. And uh, but he didn't have anything that was really. Um, You know, this was a pretty good sighting, but it was, you know, there, there's others that are just as good. The other thing is that uh, he was uh, uh, he was not uh, the the sharpest tool in the shed, shall we say? Um, so I, I don't understand why the Men in Black, which that's the origin, Bender's the first guy. Why did they come after him? I don't understand. It's 1953. Um, it's in the Bridgeport uh, newspaper about how he was told to stop investigating UFOs. And he said by the government, not some... Um, he didn't say they were some alien uh, presence or things. You know, the, the men in black have... Uh, evolved into uh, alien-type people uh, that are going around silencing people. So, now, before Bender, um, uh, uh, Don Johnson out at the Boise newspaper he was the aviation editor at the Boise newspapers. Uh, the Statesman had a morning edition and an uh, afternoon edition, and he was the aviation. And he started investigating UFOs right from Kenneth Arnold. But he was also in the Idaho National Guard. And... <coughs> I guess about 48 or 49, the Air Force told them to stop. But that's more or less he was in the, in the guard, so he maybe had to take uh, orders from him. He, was, uh, he felt that it was unfair, but uh, now there's an incident where he was told to stop of course, when uh, P when uh, McDonald talked to him, it was was after he died. He talked to his wife. His wife said he was bitter about that. But uh, I, I think the Air Force was in, uh, uh, embarrassed that he was a, a National Guard, Air National Guard. So. Well, so that might be a Men in Black incident, but it was. It was pretty much, uh, you know, people in his chain of command that told him to quit. Well, let's look at that because 
if it was used, and according to, I don't know if it's folklore or ufology, there, I need your assistance because I can see on Wikipedia they're putting folklore and ufology together in the same sentence with Albert Bender. And I know Wikipedia is used, whether we approve of it out of UK or whatever, but people go and they use it in schools, Wikipedia. But what I'm doing, you know, I've got Ace Folklife Society, but I've also got UFO Association. I'm trying to separate ufology from folklore, and it's not an easy task. <laughs> no, it isn't. It isn't. Um, uh, I guess we have to establish really what we want to – I mean, people like – Oh, I don't know. People that started the old guys before we pass off. We need to establish. I don't know if you want to say uh, academic in the academic. Like right now, Ace Folklife falls under anthropology. Like I decided to put it under anthropology because of I was living in Kentucky, Western Kentucky University, and when I was doing festivals and events, and I was doing bluegrass. And I was writing for a report in newspapers. I was doing it from a journalist or storyteller or interest that went under the Smithsonian for collecting people that did music or wrote stories. Or we had a lot of great songwriters getting royalties. And it was amazing because they couldn't play music. And they were doing it like ear by ear. And then I started listening to some stories about Bigfoot coming and listening to the music and then some people saw a ufo over my house and other people came and would sit to watch it happen and so i made a report one night when i saw one and at midnight and the dogs were barking and i called 9-11 anyway i got into ufology again not meaning to this is the first time officially uh 2006 and 7 with mufon <laughs> so then i i got in touch with uh, the Kentucky MUFON and uh, Barry Gaunt and uh, he did we sent him a picture my daughter took later of a UFO down here in Gulf Breeze and uh, oddly enough a tornado chased me out of Kentucky and my daughter had cancer and was working with people with her health so I got it all mixed up and blended together with my ace folk life in Kentucky and my integrative medicine and helping people with cancer-causing agents and alien, like uh, DNA or whatever in their blood down here, working with Moffitt Cancer Society. And then I had a UFO experience over here on the ocean while my daughter was walking along the ocean. And I get, like, taken up like I'm out of body or something, and my cell phone just dies. So I don't know what to believe anymore if uh, – so I'm trying to separate ufology from folk life, from how we all know things, even if we don't have the words or the music to, but it goes into folk life, you know what I mean? It becomes part of our culture. And this yeah, yeah, black... it's, it definitely, you know, uh, uh, people say, you know, this is, this looks like a, uh, a typical flying saucer, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. It, it, so everybody's supposed to me. recognize what that looks like. Yeah. 
So uh, well, we've got to come up with some. I don't know. I don't know if you want to say international rules or because you've got all these people that have been doing this for years and years. The old guys and they're going, "What's going on with these new kids today?" And the new kids watch History Channel or Aliens or Ancient Aliens and take Sukalos like he's God. I mean, I hear them. Oh, I believe now. I believe now. I'm like, holy crap. So you know, we're in. We're important right now. We need to separate what's what. <laughs> but I don't so know here, uh, yeah, yeah. Here's what I was looking for. I just, I just, uh, I, uh, I was looking for some stuff down in my storage shed, and uh, I pulled out this, which is very interesting. So uh, it's from the Oak Ridger in Tennessee, and this is very early in UFO history, so it's 18 July 1950. Two University of Tennessee professors are organizing their own discussion group to probe into the question of flying saucers. C.A. Newton and Guy H. Parham, Jr., uh, associate professors of engineering do not say that flying saucers exist, but they believe that serious consideration of all the unexplained area phenomena should be continued until there is adequate scientific explanation of what is acceptable to the people. Even considering the outside possibility that all of these sightings are hallucinations, said Professor Newton. The hallucinations are too prevalent to be ignored. In any case, it is a problem that should be examined from the standpoint of mass psychology. The two professors are not convinced it it is a psychological problem. Although some people have called the saucers academically or aerodynamically impossible, they said. The opinion is based on current knowledge of aerodynamics, and maybe we haven't learned everything there is to know. Professor Newton said that the new informal organization will be open to anybody desiring to discuss the matter seriously. The membership will be divided into interest groups, which will discuss different theories about the origins of the sightings. The main purpose is to keep the question of the unexplained objects intelligently alive. Very interesting that this is in the Oak Ridger. Apparently that's the only place that it uh, appeared. Um, now you said Oak So I've Ridger, done some remember? I've done some research at the University of Tennessee and tried to uh, run down these guys. Okay. Or their organization, I can't find anything. Oak it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Although one one of the student aides there who worked in the library said, "You know what? I've I've seen some stuff about those guys. Huh. So maybe we don't have it. But it's very interesting. It's very early in the UFO thing. Yeah, and nineteen fifty is is really early. There's there there's almost no UFO organizations that could go back to nineteen fifty. 
Well, and it was uh, these guys are talking about studying them. And of course, uh, my thing when I was talking to this student, I said, uh, "Well, maybe uh, it has some connection with Oak Ridge because in 1950 they had a lot of sightings at Oak Ridge." Yeah. Uh, a lot of sightings at Oak Ridge uh, um, in 1950, and uh, uh, I wonder how if these guys are uh, somehow connected with with something official, or was it just an unofficial little discussion group, or what? Official uh, or unofficial? That's something we need to. Well, now it's a part of our today's show, so maybe people after us will take hold yeah. of it. And Oak Ridger was formed in 1949, uh, January 20th, 1949, by Daryl Richardson. Now, that's according to people, uh, Oak Ridger newspaper. Is that where you found it, in American yep. Daily Newspaper? Right. That was Oak Ridge, Tennessee. It, it's owned by Gannett now, G-A-N-N-E-T-T. But Gannett, G-A-N-N-E-T-T, if you want to write that down. But that's uh, who owns it now. Now, that was a publisher, Daryl Richardson, and the newspaper of record for Anderson County, Tennessee, and the city of Oak Ridge. Now, now again, just a little after this, in 1950, um, uh a story came out that the uh, Atomic Energy Commission had a questionnaire that if things were seen around uh, your, uh, uh, um, nuclear sites, uh, that uh, that they wanted uh, they wanted uh, people to fill out these questionnaires. Now, I've seen some reports that went into the AEC. So the Air Force is investigating and the Atomic Energy Commission is investigating both at the same time. Yeah. Now, see, I was taught, but I don't know how, that the men in black got started in the intelligence community through the nuclear or this... Uh, Oak Ridge Atomic Energy Commission, but it had to do with uh, uh, secret bases and secrets, of course. So I don't know. I'm I'm up for investigating, but uh, nuclear cities, uh, Men in Black, something official or unofficial about nuclear cities are uh, any. I see Oak Ridge. The, the Atomic Energy Commission in Los Alamos. Now, we have our own classification, right, for people working in nuclear, always did. So it may have something to do with keeping classified material classified. No, it's a it Q clearance, like. a Q clearance. Los Alamos and Oak Ridge Q clearance. Yeah, but, but uh, you know, it was a to uh, Atomic Energy uh, clearance. It's called Q clearance. He used to have to have it in the military till 1954, and then uh, it was real hard to get. And there's a lot of people in the military that needed access to uh, nuclear information. So in 1954, they said, 
Well, everybody that that handles uh, nukes doesn't have to have a Q clearance because they had so much trouble getting. The people in the Air Force Intelligence didn't all have a Q clearance. Not very many of them did. In fact, I think General uh, Cabell said he went to a atomic test, and uh, most of the people in Air Force Intelligence couldn't go there because <laughs> they didn't have a Q clearance. So about 1954, they uh, they did away with that requirement for the military. Um, now, if you're handling nuclear weapons, you need to you need to have a special um, you need to have a, a special uh, uh, clearance. Um, one of them is called uh, personal reliability program. I was in that in the, in the military, but in the early days, I don't think it was called that. But uh, uh, and they have two levels. The people that actually work with it with their hands, in other words, assembling the nuclear weapons, um, and then the people that uh, code them or give orders about nuclear weapons, they have a different uh, classification. So it's uh, the the their classification isn't different, but their position is different. So some people are. They just work with it. Other people give, can relay nuclear orders and uh, um, are involved with codes and um, uh, uh, locking nuclear weapons and things like that. that that's a, that's another. That's a higher level uh, position. And the people that just assemble them or shoot them have. Uh, have another position. Uh, well, this group is is so complicated now. One of the guys uh, just called me from Hawaii that wanted to come on the last few minutes, but I don't see his number here yet. But, uh, you know, uh, how we can move forward with this, Jan, and uh, like I said, Janet thinks you're more nuts and bolts, but you're more historical than nuts and bolts, meaning... Uh, yeah, I am more historical. Like I said, the only thing I'm really... Uh, the, the, the thing I'm most interested, let's put it that way, in UFOs is effects on the environment or people or animals. I'm, I'm interested in that uh, because it's it's hard to study, you know, somebody's memory of what happened after something went away. But if you, if it affected it affected the environment somehow, uh, then it's possible to take samples or you know, if it if it happens to people, uh, if they're affected by the UFO like uh, all the way back to World War 2, uh uh, this British bomber went into Germany and they uh, encountered a UFO and everybody got um, headaches. And uh, it, it, this was like, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, when the people have the real bad headaches? Uh, migraines? Migraines. It was, they said it was, it was worse than any migraine they'd ever had. 
and they all got migraine, and they all had to be hospitalized because it was so bad. Well, we may all have and all of them got Iranian stuff coming up, <laughs> and all of them got over it on the same day. And wow! So Doctor McDonald was able to talk to them, and uh, he was interested in following up uh, in the uh, medical reports. But uh, I mean, this was in the '60s and World War II. That's a, uh, that that was a way away. So that that's one thing that never happened. Well, let uh, me let Tommy – I'm going to have somebody that's been with me and us to do an event together, and we never pulled it off with Janet Carroll Lesson, which has been on a couple of these shows with you, Jan. But this is Tommy's first time. Tommy, we've got 15 minutes left, but I'd like you to add something of credibility to our show for Folk Life with Jan because Jan has been doing this for over 50 years as a historian with the government and ufology, and he's very well-known, very worldwide uh, thought of in ufology, very in-depth. And uh, But at the same time, uh, I've got you down coming on, Tommy, for hallucinations and prevalent UFO sightings and mass psychology because you uh, worked with the Bob Mack. Bob Mack or well, that, we did mention that. But, uh, Jan, this is Thomas Anthony Sinisi. His uh, also goes by Tommy Hawksblood. He was a fire dancer in Indian culture. He's a historian, but he's uh, known in ufology and had talked to Jan uh, Harzan once about MUFON in Hawaii. But, uh, Tommy, uh, I don't know how to get you involved with Jan because Y'all both do different work, but we're all in the Ace Folklife or the UFO Association work. So, Tommy, uh, can you – Jan, I don't know how to do this because these are different well, – let me, let me just say this. Uh, yeah, Tommy Hawks, but I'm calling from the Big Island of Hawaii. Uh, I've been involved with UFOs since I was six years old. Now, there's two things that I'd like to mention to you. One is in the two, around 2001 – uh, a ship crashed into the ocean off of Long Island. I was staying in a millionaire person, a person millionaire. He's a real, he, he designed all the houses on Long Island. He was the top, uh, whatever they design houses and everything. Well, he was with his girlfriend in his house. His house was right on the ocean. As the ship crashed into the ocean, he said he saw this big light come. And when they, they were, I, I, I say this, they were making love in front of the window. They were both burnt and they turned dark red, both of them. And they didn't know what to do. They called the hospital up. And here's the real funny part about the whole thing. They said, take three aspirins and go to bed. Not come into the hospital, not what's going on. Just, come, just take three aspirin and go to bed, which they did. The next morning, next morning when they woke up, they were fine. I mean, I, I, he showed me the paper clippings and everything of the ship that they, all these people saw. But how did the hospital know to tell them to take three aspirins and stay in bed? Like, you go to the hospital and say, I'm... I, I, I got no idea. But I, that's one of the things I'm, I'm interested in is this, uh, some of these people, um, like uh, Stokes in 1957, uh, he had a sunburn, 
And when he went in to talk, he was at White Sands and uh, Close Encounter, and he, when he went to talk to people, uh, some of them noticed that he did have a sunburn, and it, it slowly went away, like things like that do, and he, he claimed it was from the UFO. Well, um, Travis Walton said the same thing, no, didn't he? When he came up, when he I came up back one. from yeah, I, I, so they uh, had to they had to treat me for a sunburn and like uh, burns on my legs like empty tigo. I was taken over to from Los Alamos with that little incident over to a Indian reservation to treat my burns and like I had sunburn, but my feet had empty tigo on them, and they don't know what caused it. But uh, it was after I went up White Sands and supposedly had a visitation. So I wonder, do you think those may have something to do with, or is it well, just? I, what what I'm saying is this short-term sunburn thing mm-hmm. uh, is known in in uh, ufology, um, and some some things are uh, if you if you look at the. Uh, uh, 1967 uh, Mekalek case. That's much more serious than uh, sunburn. Uh, uh, and Mekalek was uh, hospitalized, and we've got a, we do have his medical records. And he was, well, you know, he, he was he was really seriously in bad trouble. And his relatives said we would go into the room with him. And he just smelled awful. He was, he was, uh, this terrible smell was coming out of him. And uh, his uh, his treatment is, I mean, it's well documented. This is this is this is where we have in ufology. We we uh, we're not many things are not well documented, and they're just on. Much not much better than hearsay, but this was uh, actual medical examinations of this guy. He had uh, he had burns on his chest. He uh, he had supposedly got close to it, and uh, he burned his glove. And of course, everybody says he's a hoaxer. But um, so uh, he was treated for. Uh, at least two weeks in the hospital, uh, and uh, he uh, he probably died earlier than he should have because of this case. And my friends do, uh, doing one in New Mexico right now where this kid got burned, and of course it got in the newspapers back in '57. Uh, got burned. Well, he was he sitting was... on a, a he was a little kid, and so. People talk to his parents and everything. Of course, he's not a little kid anymore. He's a grown man. So uh, my friend went and said, I'm going to look, see if I can find this guy. Uh, He's easy to find. He still lives in the same area. And he talked to him and he asked him, you know, is this just a a joke or a game or were your parents trying to pull a fast one on something, somebody? And he said, no. No. He says it was a, it was a horrible experience, and I, I I got burned so bad I had to go to the hospital. So this is you know this. Well, here's this a, is here's really this is where you can get at some core information when you can do this. 
All right. Now, I have a question. Think about it. Now, out of the people that are actually abducted, I'm not going to say who is and who isn't, but out of the people that are actually abducted, only certain people get burnt. Now, well, you know, uh, yeah, I, I, I am not a real abduction. Uh, let's put it this way. All right, way. but here's uh, the other thing. Uh, I, I, I do a show with a woman that's been being abducted half of her life. All right, uh, we were supposed to do it today. She's definitely sick right now. Uh, she's been sick since the last show we did. Now, I, when I first met her, I told her to get checked for radiation. And she says uh, she had a dog checked, and the dog was radioactive. So she's getting actually treated for multiple things right now, but all symptoms for radiation poisoning. She's losing her hair. She's losing her teeth. She lost four teeth in two months. She's losing her fingernails. And she feels definitely sick as well. Now, a couple of years ago, two years ago, she had this giant mass cut out of her stomach, which they wouldn't tell her what it was. All right, she went to the court. She went to grand court. They went. To, they said it's. We can't release that information, and they filmed it in in England. They film every operation, and she can't even get a copy of the operation. But in the interim, as well, she said she's going to get checked for radiation on the twenty seventh, uh, and I told her that she was exposed to it. And I said anybody that gets on a UFO is exposed to radiation. It depends what level of the immune system that they have in their body at the time when they get taken on a ship. Now, I was next to a ship. I didn't get burnt. Uh, so when I think about, now, like I said, this couple of this family, this millionaire that I was in his house and everything, I was living there for a month. He went to Europe or somewhere, but when he came back, he told me the whole story and he showed me all the pictures. But he was inside a glass window, and back of a glass window, the ship was maybe half a mile out into the ocean, uh, and he got burnt. So it's just like uh, I'm just trying to figure it out for myself because I believe totally if you get truly abducted, you're exposed to radiation. Unless they put you in a space suit and bring you on a ship, you're going to be exposed. And not, they don't care. And a lot of these people that say they're abducted, I would disagree. And I said, well, you have no proof. And then you don't even have any kind of evidence to your body that you were taken on a ship. I mean, now these people that are getting implants, that's something totally different. But uh, getting back to the question is like, it's kind of weird how certain people get certain effects and other people get certain effects. I mean, it's the same. They get different stories as well. Well, but, yeah, uh, for me. Yeah, um, just UFO sightings themselves. Right. Uh, not not everybody that's close to a UFO ever uh, demonstrates any uh, medical effects or uh, physiological effects. So... Uh, how do you explain that? Well, I, I, I have no explanation other than, uh, you know, maybe something's going on at the time. Let's put it that way. If if, if, only... if, if, if it comes from a, a an intelligent-directed source, you know, when they, when they, uh, I... when they take off or something, uh, or when they're just, whatever they're doing there may have some effect on people. Uh, well, you think if, if you notice uh, when when people when people try to approach a UFO, a lot of times they take off. Maybe uh, maybe that's so they won't get hurt. Yeah. But uh, that that's all that's all um, you know beer talk. We don't well, know. Do you know much about 
Do you know much about the story of, of Left at Eastgate, Larry Warren? Yeah, but Larry Warren is not a reliable person. Well, wait, wait. See, here's the thing. I knew him. I was with him before he even released the book. It took him 10 years to get his social security number out to prove who he was. After they released him, I mean, he did two TV shows. All those people involved with that case came out, including the general, said he went over to the ship and touched it. I mean, that whole thing is being blown open. Linda Martin Howe has no clue what's going on. She asked all the wrong people. Uh, there's three people involved that were there, including Larry Wallen. He taped it. He actually taped when he was talking to the ship when it was on the ground. Uh, they played that tape on TV as well. I think he has more proof than anybody. I mean, they, he yeah. went into town to call his family up. I thought Larry Warren was, happened. when when Rudolph happened, he wasn't even there. No. Are you See, talking you know, about Edelston? No, I'm talking about Larry Warren. I was with him personally. He wrote the book, Left at East Gate. Yeah, the yeah, I know. My friend met. knows him real well, too. But uh, Well, the other he, guy is claiming that it's he, he, a lot. He, he, has, he has a lot of problems. How about that picture with the, the UFO and the uh, fighter plane? I don't know about that picture, but all I know, I mean, well, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a fake. Uh, he said Greenwood, a picture of uh, UFO with a fighter plane uh, for some reason. And then all of a sudden, I rem- I can't remember what it was, but uh, Greenwood uh, had just happened to have the picture. And then he's, he's uh, flogging this picture on a TV program showing a UFO being chased by the same fighter plane. It's the same picture. They just transposed the UFO on it. So, uh, I mean, this guy's got problems. This guy's got a lot of well, problems. you know, and I... Uh, and no, I'm talking about really what really happened. That's the problem with human testimony. There's the... Well, uh, even Travis Walton, he's, doing, he's trying to do that movie over because there's so many lies in it. You know, after all this time, he still doesn't know what really happened on that plane. He came out with this magic giant hand, and he says it's a healing hand. He, Anybody that's abducted changes, usually for the worst. Yeah, um, in the normal reality. Like I said, uh, I've, I've seen these things that are so big. These uh, abduction where they interview people and under put them under in hypnotism, and um, these things are as big as uh, as the old Chicago phone book. And when you get through reading them, you don't know anything more than when you started. Uh, that's pretty much why I, uh, well, there's, there's if somebody comes up to me and says they've been abducted, I pass them on to somebody else that that can deal with okay. it. I, I can't well, deal with new, it. There's Here's a new a, show on TV. It, it, yeah. There's a new show called Scared, Scared Famous. It's all famous people. Really big name people coming out with their experiences with ghosts and aliens. It's really good. I mean, they go through the whole story. They explain what happened. These people sold their houses. I mean, uh, but it's now are they just doing it to do another show on TV? Or are I, they I don't really know. I can't, I can't see. I, I, first judgments. of all, I don't know anything about it, so I, I can't uh, I can't speculate on why why, why people do things. Um, We're at the end of the show too. Yeah, I'm. Well, uh, oh, 
the I had one guy that I was talking to and he's a Puerto Rican he didn't speak English very well um, and he, he he had a an education that was um, and you could just tell by talking to him he wasn't well educated um, mm-hmm. there, there's nothing wrong with that I mean that's you know that that's just the way life is you know but uh uh he was saying that uh, he was abducted and they were the uh the abductors were showing him how to do stuff and he he uh he didn't really want to talk about it but it, you know, I, he would he would give me little uh tidbits so he he's showing him uh, showing me on paper what they're doing they're, they're, they have circles, and dividing things up on the circle, and taking little slices of the pie out and using it. And I said, you know, they're trying to teach this guy higher mathematics. That's what it looks like to me. If 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 I believe that he's not that well educated, what this guy, what they're trying to do to him is teach him higher mathematics. Now that's, but it's not proof of anything. Maybe he could be a professor of mathematics at some university. I can't, I didn't know that, but to me he seemed very sincere. Sincere. So <laughs> that was the that was the one that really got me. That was the. But like I said, he didn't he didn't really want to talk about it, and I tried to get him to talk to Dick Hall as somebody more sympathetic than I am. Uh, and he didn't want to do it. He didn't really, you know, he was very, uh, very standoffish. He was very, uh, felt like, uh, you know, this, this he, he was, he, he was, he wanted to be reticent. He didn't really want to talk about what happened. I, to well, me, that was, it was, it was just an interesting encounter with this guy. Um, well, I know at times, and, I, up, and but, like uh, I said, I I think I think they were if if it's uh, if there's anything to it, that's what I would say. It's it's somebody trying to teach uh, somebody uh, higher mathematics. Um, well, uh, well, look, I know TJ. Our time's up, right? Right, yeah, we're out of time. So, Tommy, maybe you can come back sometime. Uh, I know Tuesday we usually do with Tina Bird and Tommy on a live video, but Jan and I just do radio audio. But we're starting to mix audio and video together. So, Jan, I guess we'll meet back next Tuesday. And, Tommy, uh, maybe you can come in sometime for the last 30 minutes or so like you did uh, in with questions on UFO Association. But, uh, I just want to make sure this is for recording purposes, Tommy, for historical uh, purposes, right? And it's not about right. uh, anything else other than archiving or we're not debating here or anything. So, uh, people, uh, we'll be back next Tuesday, Jan, I guess, with the Lord willing and the creek don't rise, as we say in Kentucky. But I'm now in Gulf Breeze, Florida. Jan, tell them where you're located. Tommy's in Hawaii. But where I'm are you, in Jan? Connecticut. So. We had one program where we did about half the program on indigenous people here in America, so uh, maybe we could talk about that sometime. You want we to were talk talking about Geronimo and uh, and some of the sure. uh, um, uh, some of the uh, people that were at Fort Sill. 
course, is one of the. I want to plan that for next week. Then, was Tommy can come back Tuesday. If he, well, you want to do an Indian, and I did like that Geronimo story because I'm here in Pensacola, and you heard airplanes going over jets. I'm down here like the Blue Angels and all that, folks. <laughs> All right, Jan, that's a good idea. And Tommy can pull together. You think uh, the history with the Kachina dolls would be interesting and the Sky People, any of that indigenous uh, over there? Uh, is there something like that, Jan, or no? Yeah, maybe Our something speaking. like uh, um, I mean, there, there's a lot of different creation myths, too, uh, which are very interesting. Um, you want to give many uh, stories. Yeah. Well, we're yeah. documenting here, but this is about archiving, and uh, I do want to get them under separate. Uh, I'm fixing to have to pay some money to build a, a separate archiving, but even though I've got live radio shows here. Tommy knows he started with me in the beginning. He was on my first show, Jan, here, uh, the very first show with Janet Carol Lesson and Dr. Lesson and uh, Lynn Caston, a writer for Bear and Company, or one of those esoteric authors and then a guy with the name of a something out of uh phoenix i forget his name but anyway we can come back next week and uh we'll just keep doing this and hopefully uh someday we may get it re written down but uh we can put them up on youtube and get the uh archives uh i hope to make books out of this but right now it's just oral reports folks and we'll do the best we can Jan, uh, you got some good ideas, and I guess we'll take up uh, various stories so, um, next Tuesday then, okay? Okay, and, see you then. All right. All right. Thank bye you, bye. everybody. Thank you, Tommy. You can Everybody can call Thank me you. when you can catch me. Love and light. All right. ACO UFO out. <laughs> ACO UFO Association. Thank <laughs> you.